This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Something powerful happened. I connected to myself. I started having compassion for myself. I started loving myself. I started listening and laughing about some of the things I was saying. I wasn't disassociated from self. I was connecting. And that had not happened prior to writing. That was a very big thing that happened for me. Has anyone ever encouraged you to share your story, maybe to write a book? (laughs) Well, if so, you're going to really enjoy the episode today. My guest today is Heather Deffenbaugh, and Heather has lived a life worth telling a story about. She had so many people through the years encourage her to put her story down on paper and publish her book. And I'm so happy that I can share with you that today she is a best-selling author, and her book is called From Ashes to Beauty, How a Child of Two Mentally Ill Parents Went from Surviving to thriving. It's a memoir. It is a deep dive into a roller coaster life. And it is about surviving. It is about thriving. And it's a message of hope. I can't wait for you to hear more. So I'm going to stop there and just invite you to listen in as Heather Deffenbaugh shares her story. Heather, welcome to It Just Takes One. So great to have you here. Thank you. So great to be here with you. In the time that we worked on your book, I kept envisioning this moment, this moment where you've published, you've become a best-selling author, and you and I finally get to sit down and share what this entire process has been. Can you believe we're finally here? I can't believe it. It's kind of a surreal moment, um, though I kept keeping the faith like this is going to happen eventually. But no, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, yeah. I got it. We've got to dive in. We've got to share what we've been through because you and I have been through a journey getting this story written and this beautiful, beautiful book published. So let's go back to the beginning and let's remember and share with the audience When we first met, do you remember that moment? I remember it very clearly, like it was yesterday. (laughs) So share that story for everyone so they can know how we met. (laughs) So um, this was at the IDEA convention, which is an annual, uh, probably world-renowned large convention for the fitness industry. And I've been going for years, you know, 20 plus years going to these conventions, not consecutively, taking a couple of years off here and there, but going all the time. And uh, the crazy thing was this was the one time I wasn't going to be able to stay for the full four days. And it was also the one time that they cut the expo a little short. They usually open the expo in the morning, all day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I don't think they opened it until the afternoon, which was when I needed to be getting on the road. So I had this impulsive feeling that, okay, just go in there and do a just do a power walk through the expo because there's always something new or something innovative. There might be that one thing you you missed or you want to see. Never in my 20 plus years have I seen a publishing company there. It's, it's, you know, usually everything is, is the latest, you know, fitness gear, fitness equipment, fitness food, uh, just all kinds of different things like that. So at this time as well, from January up until this is in June. So for the prior six months, I've been, getting the very strong message to write my story in many different ways. Um, Whether it was at church and someone was praying for me and said, I feel like, you know, God is just like telling you, like, you need to tell your story. You have something big to share. You need to tell your story. I would get that in my inbox. Have you thought about writing your story from various, um, like, how are these people knowing or getting my information? This is crazy. Um, And I talk about that journey a little bit in part four of the book. but that day I decided to power walk through and right in, it seemed like you were right in the middle with a spotlight on you. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. As I walked, I go. <laughs> it's, it's the middle, and I looked up and I'm like, script publishing. 
is that a publishing company? There's no way. There's no way because this is the message I keep getting. I got to walk over there. So I remember walking over and I was, I think the only one in that moment that, that had stepped over there. So it was almost like God parted the sea for me to walk over there and just be able to have a conversation with you. I met Greg, I met you, but you and I instantly, as we started having a conversation that was just, uh, it was, so organic and so connected at the same time. Um, that's when you started asking me questions and I, you know, I shared my, my career, my fitness career, what I was passionate about, things I was excited about, and my intention of writing some books on fitness, wellness, with the knowledge I have to share with others. And you asked me a very pivotal question. You said, what do you feel called to write? That was the moment I knew. And I thought, well, this doesn't really have anything to do with fitness per se. I mean, that'll be integrated in there because it was part of my life, but it would be my memoir, my life story. And then I gave you a snippet of it that I had grown up with two mentally ill parents and raised my brother. And I have this, this uh, very chaotic, crazy background that would not yield to the kind of person I am today and, and my brother and, and what we've been able to overcome. And people are like, you can't keep that tucked away. People need to hear that so they can be helped and inspired and encouraged. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And you said, when I told you that, you said, that is what you're gonna write first, that first. And I think I needed somebody to tell me that, especially an editor. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And as we sit here today, the book From Ashes to Beauty has been published. It's a best-selling book on Amazon, available on Amazon. We'll talk more about that as we get into our conversation. But you know, Heather, I've worked with many, 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 many authors over the past six years that we've been in business. And if I could encapsulate what I think the quintessential writing experience is, I would tell it through your journey because I was actually able to be with you every step of the way on the journey from that moment when you internally made the decision to write this book to today, which is what are we three years later, four years later? I don't remember which year that was. It was 2019 of June that I met you at the idea convention. And then I signed up to be part of your, um, uh, I forget manuscript weekend mm -hmm. from from yeah. dream to manuscript from in a weekend. Yes, manuscript. That was the very end. I think it was like November first and second, mm -hmm. um, first, second, and third. It was a Friday night to a Sunday, and that's when I developed the mind map and began to even birth the the process of how how I'm going to move forward and 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 create this and, and birth this incredible book. Um, so I want to say if we counted from November when we started 2019, it's been two and a half years, a little over two and a half years. Two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I want to read something that you wrote in the book. This is actually toward the end of the book, but you wrote this about this, this journey you've been on. You said, writing my story has been cathartic and painful, but absolutely worth it. It led me down so many paths specifically to therapy and on the path to healing. It has changed my life in many ways. My whole attitude and outlook have shifted for the better. My ability to discern how I am feeling and exercise self-control and caution is so much stronger. I trust God at his word more than I did in the past. Mm. Yep, it's accurate. <laughs> it has been a process. So tell the audience a little bit more about this cathartic experience that you had. Why was it cathartic? What did it bring out and up in you as you went through the writing of the book? Well, first of all, it caused me to be incredibly vulnerable, which is not something I've ever allowed myself to be because I've been in survival mode for so long. So there's a level of control that needs to be maintained and you create your own safety net, what you're gonna allow in, what you're gonna share. Um, there's always a heightened concern of how people are going to react. 
or receive things. Um, and really what I learned through therapy is a lot of it is a form of abandonment issues. So people who have been um, grown up in neglect or abandonment, and it doesn't even have to be as severe as mine, it could be divorce. It could be a lot of different things where it broadsides you and you, um, you know, you feel this intense amount of uh, rejection or that you're unlovable or that you have to earn and hustle for people's love or hustle for your worth. And all of that stemmed from, you know, the, the drastic amount of, of neglect and abandonment and all kinds of various things, obviously, in the book. So being vulnerable was essential. It was 100% necessary for me to speak so deeply from the soul and from the heart and trust the process that by me sharing these things, it is going to allow everybody else to be vulnerable. That's true connection. That's authenticity. And that's what breaks strongholds. That's what breaks stigmas. And that's what crushes fear. So I had to go through that myself. If I'm telling people, you know, you can do it too, or, you know, I'm sharing my story to inspire people to show how I came from surviving to thriving. You know, the subtitle is the very essence of the book. It is how do you go from that space and how many millions of people right now are stuck and hurting and lonely and feel completely alone and are living a facade and really they're isolated in their head and isolated in their heart. And we see an epidemic of suicide. We see an epidemic of mental health issues. We see an epidemic of mental illness, um, which is another thing I wanted to bring light to because those two things are actually quite different, mental health issues and mental illness. Mental illness is something that will never go away. It's kind of like diabetes. You have to live with it. You have to manage it. Diabetes, you have to take insulin shots. You have to regulate your blood glucose. Mental illness, you often have to take medication, see a psychiatrist, adapt it because the body adapts to things so quickly. Um, you have to have um, you know, really good modalities in therapy a support system, all of those things, and you can coexist with it. You absolutely can. Like any other kind of debilitating, you know, autoimmune or anything. And I think we need to look at mental illness the same way because, you know, it's a broken brain, just like when you have a broken pancreas or, you know, your lungs aren't working well and you need assistance there. So that was one. Mental health issues, but that's everywhere. That's anxiety, PTSD, complex PTSD, depression, those types of things. And those, you can actually overcome a lot of that. Um, the brain is incredibly pliable and there's so many amazing therapeutic modalities outside of medication. Not saying that that might be something you need. I do not need it, which is a miracle. <laughs> yes. I do not need it. I am not just so for the record, I'm not on any kind of um, psychiatric drug to help um, ground me. I am in therapeutic modalities like you know, obviously talk therapy. I feel like that is what you and I have with every week when we Zoomed, <laughs> which was a really big part of helping me get through the fear and the distorted thinking, but also obviously being in therapy and, and the book catapulted me into therapy. And <laughs> we, my therapist and I both agreed that I don't think an hour a week is going to be enough. We, you know, especially my motivation was like, whatever it takes to write the book. And I realized what it really was about was I had an enormous amount of healing to do. So, um, you know, that was the big cathartic process of and, and how it changed my life so much was that um, really yielding to the call, which I, I believe I know in my heart, the call was from the Lord. Like, you're going to write your story. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to send you the people that are going to help you along the way. And in turn, you're going to be helping them in ways that they don't even expect. And that is how I work, you know, through people. So beautiful. And I love that you brought up that vulnerability piece because obviously anytime anyone puts something of their own out into the world, whether it's their story, whether it's their piece of art, whether it's a book, whatever it is, it, there's a vulnerable piece to it. And, and the more you've been through, the more of those uh, things that you described, the shame, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the fear, and the more of that you feel, the harder it is to sit down and, and write it. And you described, you know, there's many methods and modalities of, of going through that healing process, talk therapy, leaning on your faith, 
for you music, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> because yeah. it's a big part. We read it through the book, um, but also writing. How do you think, or do you think that that the actual process of writing helped you to sort of break open and start to open up to that vulnerability? Oh, that was huge, and I think. Um, knowing that there's different modalities of writing, like you can speak in, in, into a microphone, you know, you can do rev or you just, you talk it all out and then they'll type it all out for you. And I tried everything. I'm, I'm always about try everything available to you and see what resonates with you. See what, you know, really works for, for me. And the actual typing, the kinesthetic feeling of my fingers on the keyboard typing away as I'm thinking and processing. And let me tell you, there were so many moments as I'm typing and I am bawling. I'm like, like I'm crying and I'm typing and I'm like, oh my God. And I, there's a movie I, I think with Diane Keaton where she's writing and she's bawling. And I even had a moment where I thought about that. I'm like, this is real. Like, this is really what happens. <laughs> I know the exact movie you're talking about. I think about yeah. it often where she was just um, sobbing and yeah, she's typing and she's, you know, she's, it's personal for her, but even though she's writing a screenplay and it's, you know, it, it's coming from her life though. It's not a memoir or it's not a bibliography or autobiography, I should say, where mine is. So as I'm writing, um, I found that just the feeling of the keys and typing and then seeing the words displayed in front of me and being able to go back and read those words and then they're impacting me again, then they brought out more. So then I would add more to it. And then sometimes I would take a break or I'd have a thought about something else that I knew, okay, I'm, I'm writing part one, but this is going to go in part two. I would just like create another page, part two, and get those thoughts out. It was really important that as I felt them, I would get them out. And the other part of my writing process was, uh, was literally writing, physically writing. So I have, you know, my desk even still, I mean, there's got to be 50 post-its and little folders and pieces of paper. And it didn't matter where I was, if I you know, just finished teaching a class at the gym and I got in the car and I had this thought, you know, as I had a conversation with somebody, I'd sit down and I'd grab my notepad and I'd start writing it out. And there, there were times that I would think about it while driving and I would use my voice memo inside my, um, you know, my phone. I'd turn on that app and I'd speak into it. Okay, you don't want to forget this. Da, 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 da. Then I would come home and I'd take that and I'd transfer that into writing and it would develop from there. So, I just didn't miss a moment to capture things that were coming up for me and how I was going to express that and verbalize that. Um, so sometimes it would start with the basic sentence and from there I could really expand the thought and attach my heart and soul to it. And then it became this huge paragraph and passage. Yeah. And it was such a pleasure to go through that entire piece with you because we had coaching calls every week. So we would touch base. We would talk through what you had been thinking about or what you were voice memoing that week or whatever ideas were floating. And then you'd go back to it and keep going. And uh, so it was really amazing for me to be on that journey as you went through each piece of it. I remember, Heather, I remember distinctly, there was one conversation that we had where you were telling a lot of the story, telling a lot of the story. And you said to me, Kelly, I feel like this is becoming all about me and it doesn't feel right. I don't want this book to be about me, even though it's a memoir, it's my story. But I, you were kind of stuck in that moment. Do you remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. And I, I want to bring that up because I hear that from a lot of authors, you know, as they start to write their thoughts down it starts to get a little uncomfortable when it feels like it's all about them. So how did you reframe that? How did you get over that hurdle so that you could continue writing the book? Hmm. There was a couple of ways. One of them is, uh, is something that you said. Um, another one was something my husband said and something my therapist said, and you were all consistent in what you were saying. Uh, so it helped that I was expressing that a little bit because I kept saying, what is my why? Why am I writing this? Who am I writing this for? And I started thinking about my children. And I think you had mentioned that, Dan, 
uh, my therapist that all said, it's like, as I want to leave a legacy for my children, my grandchildren, if they were reading this and um, how that would help them allow them to be vulnerable, not feel they had to be perfect, be able to share um, and work through things that were, that had them in bondage and, and, and fear and shame. Cause everybody's going to go through that at some point with something. Um, and it's, again, I say this in the, in the um, book trailer, my video trailer, that pain is universal. It's, it, it's all over the world. We all experience it. So when I started writing from that space, I'm not, I, I, instead of writing from a childlike space in the beginning where I was kind of vomiting out the thoughts, which you encouraged, which was great. It's a great start. It's like, you know, when I first wrote part one, um, and I think there's about 10 chapters in part one, I was coming from that space and I could see some of the phrases like, I can't even believe this happened. And you know, I'm, I'm talking as if I'm processing it in therapy or something. <laughs> so when I went back and it had been a, a year and a half had gone by and I had finished some of this, that's why it took, I'm like, oh, I'm rewriting this entire part one because now I really knew my why. And so obviously the bones were still there in the story, but I really was able to get in there and, and, and really connect all those chapters so that the reader is feeling that they're almost being spoken to like, you, you know, come with me on this. And I know this is going to speak to your soul too. And, you know, in what ways will this impact you, the reader? I started thinking about the person reading it, who is very, um, has, has been stuffing all those things down. And, and some people have just read it. Like, I can't wait to read your story, but then they're having a hard time getting through it because it's tapping into their story. And that is what I wanted to be able to do is help other people um, move out of those places and, and really thrive because you cannot thrive when you're stuck there. You can't, you, you kind of think you're fine. Everything is fine. That's why I wrote a chapter called, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know we all want to be fine. And I developed an acronym for that and I won't give too much away. It's in the book. You'll have to read it. But that chapter resonated with a lot of people. And that's been really fun to hear. It's like, oh my gosh, this chapter, when you wrote this, I was like, totally. <laughs> and I said, that's so great. It's so neat to hear the different ones. Cause I had the ones that I thought, Ooh, this is really going to impact somebody. And then um, there's been so many other different ones. I didn't think would impact people the way it has. So, and you never know, that's the thing. You never know how it's going to impact somebody. So you just have to get it out and let it do its work. I'm curious though, because that legacy was really important to you. Your why was about leaving that for your kids and the story to pass along to them and the, and the message of hope and, and resilience and all yes. of that, as well as to the readers. But I'm curious, what does your family say now that they've read it? They've had, they all have it in their hand. What did Dan feel when he read it? How did the kids feel? And what did they say about it once they read it? Oh, it's, that's been really incredible. Um, especially Dan, my husband, who um, there were chapters that he, after he read it, I would be, you know, cooking in the kitchen and, you know, he would sit down, he couldn't put it down. And he knows the stories in this book, but he said, huh, uh, the way you wrote it, it took him back in that time with me as a child and everything. But then the parts where he doesn't come in until part three, um, even though he knew some of the stories that had happened to me, uh, especially as an adolescent, I think that's been the most painful part for people is part two of the book. That's where I'm getting a lot of um, yeah, emotions and tears and, you know, people wanting to reach out and, and talk to me but he would cry. Like there was a, there was a chapter one time I was cooking and he came up and he just grabbed me and hugged me really hard. And there were tears in his eyes. And I'm like, are you okay? What happened? He goes, I just read, you know, damaged goods, or I just read this one part. And, um, I just wanted to come hug you. It, it impacted him that much. Um, there's other stories where, you know, even the, the, Chapter one, Apocryphal Pansies, he's just like, oh my gosh, it was like, you took me back to the seventies. I was there. I was, and then the music was so impactful. I felt he kept spotifying every song. So I knew what chapter he's on. I'd hear the song. I'm like, ah, you're on chapter. <laughs> 
he really couldn't put it down. He read the whole thing in like four days, which is which is good for my husband, who's not a book reader. He doesn't typically read books. We listen to a lot on Audible. My kids, um, I'll share a little something personal here. They needed a heads up. We had to sit down around the dinner table and I had to tell them everything that was in there that they did not know before they opened the book. Uh, that was a very difficult moment for me. Um, it was uh, painful. I had to just, you know, cause I, I had to speak it and look in their eyes and see their reaction, but it was the most incredible thing that, um, that, that I could have done. And that was the way to do it. And, and my husband said the next day, you have just blown open the doors for them to come to you about anything for them they, to see your humanity, because they have seen me as superwoman um, my whole life. You know, they've, we've, we've created a very wonderful life for them and they are so loved and they are so cared for. They are also disciplined. You know, they, they, they had boundaries, they had all those things and we didn't do everything perfectly. You know, nobody does, but that's the other beauty about it. You, you're almost doing your kids a favor <laughs> when you show them the imperfections because they now um, feel like, God, I don't have to be perfect. And my mom's going to understand these things. So I think that was the biggest impact is that I lived a life much fuller, much more difficult, much bigger than they ever, ever knew. And I think it explains so much about me to them, why I react the way I do, why, why I have that very tenacious, strong, resilient spirit, why I'm not afraid of much. Um, why I, I can be a risk taker, why I throw myself in wholeheartedly 200%, why I love hard, uh, that all of these things, you know, why I'm not afraid of confrontation, which in the beginning, pre-therapy, pre this process, the confrontation was a means of an outlet um, to release all that. Now I'm very discerning and I can, I can move into confrontation with mutual respect but also be very, very grounded and bold in what I believe, but deliver it in a way where the other person's really going to listen and they're not scared to death of me. So that's, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a really good thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I, I think that's a really great message. Um, another thing that I do hear from people that are writing is that they're very afraid to share the stories because they don't know how their families will take it. And, mm. you know, whether it's because you're writing something that is bringing them into the story and you don't want to bring them in without their permission or whether it's what you described that they're going to find out something they don't know about you. Um, that's yes. probably the deepest of vulnerability, right? It is the deepest of vulnerability and it's the largest risk and, you know, beautiful, wonderful things are not birthed from, you know, carefully calculated, contained and refraining from it is, risk. I mean, if you look at much things in life, um, it's because people took the risk to, to do that. And it wasn't just a blind, let me jump off the cliff. It was such a process and our zoom meetings were such a process. So we, you and I would talk this out. And the more we did, the more comfortable you were like a sister, I could tell everything to you that was safe. And you always told me, you we're always going to go back and look at this before the book is published, Heather. And if you don't want it in the book, we can take it out. So the book became like this in-depth journal and this in-depth, like I, um, journal for me, but also how I'm helping people. Like after I think they're in that story with me, what's the lesson, what's been the, um, incredible life application that I've taken from this, uh, those kinds of things, you know, I don't just leave you there. Some, some of the stories, it's just, you need to know the story as we move forward. So they're going to transition into just so you know, the background of things and, and that will come the whole, you know, how do we thrive from here that will come, but it was recording our sessions. And I think I didn't start doing that until our first couple of zoom meetings. Um, when you started saying, Oh my goodness, Heather, that was really good. What you just said, write that down. Did you, you got to write that down. I'm like, I gotta write that down because I would speak it. Um, things would come out of me when I speak to another person. So this happens when I speak to friends or friends who are struggling or my family or my husband or my therapist or whoever, I speak a lot of things that they're like, wow, what you just said was very powerful. 
And so I'm like, I'm going to, rather than speaking to Rev, it doesn't come naturally when it's just me and a recording. But when I'm talking to another human being is where it taps into my soul. So I started recording our Zoom meetings and then I would go and walk my dog and go on these long walks and ball my eyes out and listen, listen to myself speak, which was difficult in the beginning. I didn't like hearing myself speak. I was hearing my own voice going, ew, I don't like that. <laughs> and I thought, well, I have a feeling that my book is going to be a catalyst for public speaking and I will be on a stage, um, a TED Talks or something. So I need to get used to listening to my voice. And that was actually an amazing process to hear me speak things out. Um, something powerful happened. I connected to myself. I started having compassion for myself. I started loving myself. I started listening and laughing about some of the things I was saying. I wasn't disassociated from self. I was connecting. And that had not happened prior to writing. That was a very big thing that happened for me. Um, to have compassion on that little girl that went through so much instead of being disgusted by it and ashamed by it and wanting to never let anybody know that side. That's where a lot of the healing began. And that's how I can share it with the world because I don't have shame attached to it anymore. That's what people are afraid of to share their story because you're afraid of how it's gonna be received or how you're gonna, or how you're gonna look, or you've worked really hard to build this facade that you want people to see, <laughs> but yet you're still living a facade. And how beautiful is it that you can be raw and say, yeah, this was a very big part of my life as I know other people have had this happen to them and um, how beautiful that we can heal from it. And we don't have to lock it up in a big fat chest and shove it six feet under and hope that it never, gets excavated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you actually brought tears to my eyes as you said that, because I think that, I think that's really the essence of what I was thinking when I said, you are the quintessential uh, cathartic experience of writing. You know, if somebody really wants to understand what the power of writing and the process that it is, what you just described is it, it is, it is that ability to get back in tune with yourself and yeah. to find that compassion. It's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's all been such a process and you have to keep moving forward. I wanted to quit writing a dozen times. And, and that truth needs to be told that it wasn't like I could just keep going. No, I was going to quit. As a matter of fact, you know, we, we started this November of 2019 and, and I was, I was turning 50 on new year's day, 2020. And I had told you, I had several celebrations in the works being my 50th that we were going to New York. We were doing all these different things with friends and family. So I thought if I could start February 1st, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll begin then that's when I'll really throw myself into it. And so I started to do that. And as I started to write and I kind of went, chronologically a little bit. I'm like, all right, I kind of want to open it up with this. Um, and it became, I didn't realize, and I hadn't had any therapy, keep in mind. Um, I had a little bit when I, you know, 20 years prior, but I talk about that in the book and how it was just scratching the surface, but this began to be so difficult. And as I was writing, it was triggering all kinds of things. And, you know, lo and behold, I found out, of course I have PTSD and I have complex PTSD. They're two different things, but lucky me, I've got the, you know, I've got the buffet. <laughs> so it made perfect sense why I would have those things, but I didn't understand that until I started therapy. So as I started writing, it was too painful. So I thought, well, um, I know I signed a contract and everything. I'm just tell Kelly, I'm gonna do a fitness book. We're just going to change the whole book. I'm not even going to do this. I, I had it all planned. And <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic hit that, 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 you know, magnified everything right for all of us. And we all had to kind of adapt to the pandemic and you and I hadn't connected for a couple months. And I thought, Oh, maybe she forgot about me. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know, you know, but I'm just going to push the, like we all do. I'm going to just put it on the shelf. I'm going to just put it in the cabinet and just forget about it. How many people run from their stuff until they're held accountable for it until somebody says, Hey, you know, let's have a conversation about this. 
what's going on. So when you and I connected and you asked me what would be helpful, but you know, we're going to need to, to zoom together. We're going to need to have these, these coaching calls together. Would it be helpful once a month, you know, and you didn't want to push too much and, or once a week. And I'm like, probably once a week <laughs> for a little while to help. And you didn't probably know the magnitude until we started that journey together. So once we started that, that led me to praying about you know, a therapist, my husband, that was my husband's idea. You need this. This is going to help you too. So, you know, God put a girlfriend in my life who started a nonprofit. I tell that story in the book and then boom, I, we went on a walk and I asked her and she referred and, you know, it turns out it was the perfect match and I was ready. I was ready to be vulnerable, but also not all therapists are created equal. Not all are a good fit. So I would just speak to that, make sure that people know that if that first one, you know, doesn't seem right and you can't feel vulnerable and you don't feel safe and, and you can't seem to force it, then it might be time to find another one. Or maybe you need a specific gender. You want a male or you want a female. All those things matter. So you just take the journey until it happens and mine happened. And um, then everything started falling into place, you know, between our time together, my time in therapy, my willingness to keep writing, keep moving forward, cry through it trudge myself through it. There were days that I had six hours at my desk in my, this office, this is the office that has a lot going on in it. (laughs) (laughs) You can see multiple computers, sewing machine, you know, this is, you're seeing little facets of me, (laughs) but uh, that's part of the process. You have to be willing to take the journey in the wilderness and know that you're going to come out on the other side to something very beautiful. Yeah. And develop the team around you that can help you get there. That's key. You need a a support team for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm sure by now we have completely teased this story enough that we need to share more about your story because now they know what the writing process was, but the story is really the, the reason that we're here and, and you have quite a story, obviously. So let's, let's dive into it. The book is called From Ashes to Beauty. Let's just start with why that title. Mm. It encompasses my entire life. You know, I was living uh, in a life of of ashes. Things were crumbling before me. I, um, you know, my father had schizophrenia from when I was born. My parents were uh, high school sweethearts, had a little breakup. My dad got drafted mandatorily in the Vietnam War. He went kicking and screaming. He did not want to go. Um, they married in that time. And then while my mom was pregnant with me, he got an honorable discharge because of schizophrenia, but ended up in a psychiatric ward for about five months. And, uh, you know, when they tried to do life together and um, all the various medications and the psychiatrists that were involved, my mom was also dealing with a tremendous amount of other things. Um, And so I talk about all of that in the book to kind of set the scene of understanding, you know, what I was even born into. Um, But from there, there was a multitude of things that happened because growing up in the 70s too, um, it was kind of like come home and the streetlights are on. There wasn't a whole lot of investment (laughs) happening in in a lot of kids. Uh, There's a lot of latchkey kids, uh, things like that. And I was all of that, but um, it just, it started tapping into all of the things that happened to me, um, in that time from, um, being molested, having sexual abuse, having, and not from my parents, just to be clear, but, you know, from other people, from people you trust, of course, um, and the neglect and being bust. I went to five elementary schools, five, you're only in elementary school for seven years. <laughs> so being, you know, all over the place like that. There was no stability, the the foundation there. And then obviously my mom having her absolute nervous breakdown when I was 11 years old. So at 11, she ended up in and out of psychiatric wards. So virtually, and and she did remarry, but my stepdad was, um, he was not a good man. He was a, and and, uh, you read about that in the book, what I had to deal with with him as well. So I was on my own. And at 11, I, there was that point where I had to start um, caring for my brother. My brother was only eight and I cared for my brother all the way through the book. And, and you see that in the beginning journey of, of even just my relationship with my dad who has schizophrenia and the love that was there and how we bonded. The way that I bonded with my parents, both with mental illness was music. 
And music was huge for my dad. It's how we communicated, shared feelings. It's where I saw my parents in a really good mood in a place of peace. And they were big classic rock fans, you know? So Bob Dylan was like one of their big ones that they loved to share together, but they loved everything from Aerosmith to the Rolling Stones to um, Pink Floyd was very big, Led Zeppelin, um, all of these bands. So I grew up listening to this music. Um, and even just Billy Joel and, uh, you know, those types of things too. So all of that music, there was always music on, there was music on in the car. There was music on in the house. I'd wake up Saturday morning. I want to watch cartoons. There was music on. So, but when the music stopped, I knew my parents weren't well. And that, so the music became a very important connection with them, but also with me understanding my feelings. So Throughout the whole book, there's probably about 40 songs in there, um, many genres. I mean, I've got like three Eric Church songs. Eric Church is, speaks to my soul because music helped raise him too. So a lot of his music is about how the music impacted him. Um, he's got a song when rock and roll found me. It's not in the book, but I related to that one. I was like, oh, but there is a song in the book called Crazy Land. And it is about what the scene looks like in a bar where people are, are wallowing away their sorrows. And um, it's the only place they feel connection because they're with other people who are so downtrodden and, and so sad. And so my dad used to take me in these bars for hours at a time and um, sit at the bar and, you know, feed us Shirley Temples and quarters to go play Pac-Man. And I was the adult. I was already adulting at that age. Um, so crazy land, uh, it, it shows you what the whole scene looks like. So that's just one, uh, little part. And then of course there's songs that you, that people are blown away. It's like the artist wrote that song for my situation. Um, especially when my mom had a breakdown journey has a song called mother father, and it's not a popular mainstream song. It was probably never even got radio play, but it was on, I believe their escape album, which was a, their, you know, don't stop believing album, one of their biggest. But when you lit, when those lyrics come in, in that scene with my mom, it looks like it was written for that scene. And so I was actually listening to that song during that time in my life. And it helped me feel connection that somebody sees me, they understand me, they've been through this too. And it almost felt like it was written for me. I adopted it for me. Um, and then there was fighter songs, like, you know, the opening of survival of the fittest part four, part three of the book is survival of the fittest. And that's when I, you know, took control of my life and everyone else's life and became the adult. And here I am, I'm, I'm 14 going into my freshman year. 15, was I 15? Yeah. 15, the majority of my freshman year, but it starts out with, you know, it's survival of the fittest is the name of the entire, um, part of the book, but, uh, I forget what the first chapter is, but it's the song is the anthem. Here I go again on my own. White snake, but those songs are the lyrics are exactly you, you you're you're in it with me because you realize wow this is how did this match this so much that was a gift the Lord gave me that I could I can integrate those songs um, again there's a lot of Christian contemporary amazing music that isn't that will speak to your heart and your soul which also matches very difficult times with their songs of hope and songs of redemption and songs of love and grace um, and uh, courage uh, songs. It, it takes a lot of courage. I just had this vision that, you know, the, the idea that this may become a, a screenplay at some point and, you know, thinking in the movie, those songs playing in the background and as the, the actors play out the scenes uh, just came to me. So I'll just throw that vision out there because I can see that happening, but yeah. you know, when you read the book, listeners, when you read the book, you're going to hear story after story and you're going to think, how does anybody get through even one of these? And there are just one after another and after another. Let's just share one. This is just maybe a minor one in the in the scheme of the whole thing, but it's one that I remember well. Um, and it's the chili powder incident. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Tell that story. It's again, it's probably minor in the big scheme of what you've experienced in your life, but I think it's something that that the audience, everyone could probably relate to. Yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of people respond, write me about that um, and how just they're laughing at the same time. You know, they're, they're laughing, they're angry, they're compassionate, uh, all of it in that just one little chapter. And that comes really early in the book. I think it's like the second chapter. Um, 
So, you know, we all have these things uh, that are cultural in our families that get handed down ways to, you know, ways to discipline or, you know, when you're teething, this is what you do and, and that type of stuff. So one of the ways to uh, that, it was my, my grandmother, my dad's mother, and I believe they lived with my dad's mom for maybe six months to a year when they tried to get my dad grounded and stable. My mom had just had me. So I definitely grew up. And I have a whole big Latin side of the family. So they speak Spanglish and they have all these like Spanish ways of doing things. So the chili powder was a, a means of trying to get your, your child to behave or if they did something wrong, kind of like soap in the mouth. You know, you say a bad word, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. We've all heard that. So in our Latin family, it was you do something wrong or you disobey or you say a bad word, you put chili powder on the tongue and it burns. Uh, so that was what she always said, if you wanna get Heather to, to listen, cause I was a very strong-willed child as you'll see in, in the book. And I was about four years old at this time. Um, and I don't I wanna give too much away, but the, uh, you know, my mom was dealing with my little brother who was just a, a baby and he had colic and he had asthma and it was a 24 hours, just all consuming job for her to bring him comfort. And I loved my little brother, wanted to play with my little brother. So my mom loved that I cared for him and kept him occupied when he was fine. But when he would fall asleep, um, and of course, I was starving for attention because of all the chaos that was going on. And all the focus was on my dad, who was so sick, and my brother, who was so sick. So here I am, you know, a normal, high-functioning, high-energetic, full-of-personality four-year-old that just go play, go play, go play. And so I wanted to wake him up after she, she took her hours to get him to sleep. So he finally gets to sleep and he had these little squeezable mobile over his crib mittens. And, you know, my mom was emphatic, do not go in there. You're not allowed in there. You stay out of that room. He needs to sleep, all this stuff. And the first thing I wanted to do was go wake him up. It was almost like I had this like, oh, this is a great time to draw attention to me. <laughs> So I'm, I'm assuming that's what I was feeling at four, that I was feeling that neglect. And um, I went to go and I woke him up and my mom went into a complete panic and just really caved into all those heightened, uncontrollable emotions when you're angry as, as a parent, as a, you know, you just, you're maxed out, you're tapped out and you just lose it. Um, I said, she lost her shiz <laughs> completely. So, you know, she grabbed me and went into the kitchen and opened the pantry and fumbled through all the spices. I remember spices were falling out and things were falling out and it, her anger was so evident. The, the energy coming from her body. I, I just remember feeling scared and, um, and she, you know, was very angry and forced my head back and, you know, you're going to take this chili powder, but not knowing that the, you know, the little plastic barrier on top of the chili powder was missing. She had best have peeled it off and she did a recipe. So half the bottle went down my throat. And that is when I began to gag and cough and vomit. And then she just freaked out and got scared. It was crying and went running out of the house to try to find my dad who, you know, was up at the neighbor's drinking away because he had a bad drinking problem in the beginning and and just the scene and of me not wanting to be alone and being left in the kitchen and, and running after her and just standing on the driveway I could see her at maybe four or five houses down she's screaming at my dad and my dad drops his beer bottle and it rolls all the way down the gutter and just kind of down by my feet and past my feet and I just I have these vivid scenes of just knowing that I didn't know it was in that bottle, but I know that it caused a lot of problems, you know, with my dad and with my mom. And so, and just the end scene of, you know, when she comes in and um, she calms down and she finds common ground again and gives me a bath and, and has my brother on her lap and everything is calm and peaceful. And there's a lot of focus and love on me and just her crying and telling me she's sorry and me feeling so happy and content and the heat residing from my mouth and being in the bubbles and just all of that. But thinking back to what happens when we do things in a fit of rage and we're angry and the lesson I saw from that, how important it is not to react in that moment. Um, I speak to that, um, what that taught me seeing that versus being bitter against my mom. You know, she was, that wasn't her intent. 
to pour the chili powder down my mouth, but she also wasn't thinking very clearly. And she was reacting on all these very volatile emotions, you know, at, at that time. I know many mothers have been through those kinds of moments. And so it, I really was seeing it from that perspective and also kind of the endearing, funny part of the things that get handed down to you, like put tequila on her gums, put tequila on Heather's gums when she's teething. I think it's why I like margaritas so much. <laughs> There's always, oh, yes, a There's always a reason. I do go for quality tequila, though. <laughs> it's got to be the best kind. So, you know, one of the things that I had said to you many times um, as we walked through the story was that with what you experienced with two parents with mental illness and you know the control that we would love to have, they didn't have in the same way because of their illnesses and um, the, the the chaos of your life, the instability that you had, it, you really, any child in that situation really has two options. One is they follow that same route and go down that path, the same right. as their parents, or they choose something else. Mm. You chose something else. And I was always fascinated by what it was within you or outside of you that you tapped into that allowed you to take the path toward thriving. Mm -hmm. What do you think that was? How can you describe that to the audience? Uh, well, it was always, there was always a fork in the road. And a lot of that, and I do speak to that in the book um, on why I made these little choices along the way, but I share the story, um, it's called Fear and Faith Collide. And that's in the first part of the book, that's the chapter. And how, when my dad, who was a, he was a believer, he loved Jesus. He got me my first Bible. He loved to go to church. He loved God. He never blamed God. Um, he also, as much as you believe in God, you believe in the devil. There's an enemy. There's, there's, you can't have good without bad. They both, they both exist. And nobody wants to think about the bad. You, you kind of blame God when things happen instead of saying, hmm, well, there's also, you know, we've got an adversary and we have an enemy. So when you choose to try to understand that, I was a very inquisitive child. I was always curious. I wanted to know things. I wanted to understand things. So I would go and do the research myself. I wouldn't always take what someone else's opinion was as face value. I would be like, mm, I think there could be more. I wanna know for me, I wanna understand it all. I wanna see all my options. So that was something that was innate, innate in me. But the other thing was, is that when I was seven and Faith and Fear Collide, I was in a Sunday school class and the teacher told me about Jesus and how it was a personal relationship and that it didn't matter where I came from or if my parents believed in Jesus or not, or if, you know, I didn't have parents or none of those things mattered that the relationship is that personal and you can be a child. You don't have to be a special age. So she broke it down so simply that it felt tangible to me. Like, you mean, I can have this. I, I want, I want that relationship and Jesus is God and try to trying to explain the Trinity is difficult for an adult, let alone a seven-year-old that, you know, father, son, and Holy Spirit. But I, I got it. I got enough of it to want it. And I shot my hand in the air and was like, I, I want that. And I said this prayer with her. So I know that, you know, I had the Holy Spirit living in me, helping me, guiding me, make prompting me to make decisions. And so when I would be in that, that crossroad, you can go this way, you can go this way. I would have that feeling of, Will that serve you well in the end? Like it sounds really good right now and it, it might feel good, but it won't serve me well in the end. So I'm not going to take that. Now, other times I did, I didn't, it was like, I was caught up in the emotion and, you know, I really don't care. I want to feel good right now. Or, you know, yeah, this might not be the best decision, but I'm going for it. Um, and there was always consequences for that. So I learned from the consequences. So it was either I was learning from the consequences. So I'd make a better choice later or I was choosing the road less traveled. And the one that felt like I was denying myself of something, like I should have been a very promiscuous girl based on you know my history. I mean, any therapist will tell you that, that it's a miracle that I wasn't, I was the opposite. And you can see why it's making these, these choices you know, along the way. Um, so that developed. And as you do that, you're exercising that that wisdom muscle, that spiritual muscle, the way you would doing a bicep curl with, with a dumbbell. 
and it develops over time. And, and then I had little pockets, you know, I, when I got to be teenage years, I would say from like 19 to 23, uh, you'll read about life in the fast lane a little bit. It was the first opportunity I, I got to be a kid. I wasn't taking care. It was, you know, I, I was, I was being a little taken care of and lost myself in that a little bit, but then regrouped pretty quickly. And so you see the journey that the journey isn't um, this, this linear process all the time. It's, it's up and down. As a matter of fact, if you look on the Amazon reviews, a lot of people say it takes you on this roller coaster ride that you don't want to get off. And at the same time, you're feeling all the feels, you know, your tummy's dropping or it's just so cool to see how people are feeling that because that's what it felt like to me too. Um, and it's also sometimes a couple steps backwards and then you got a full throttle forward again. It's a journey, not a destination. And it's a matter of learning and, and hopefully refining along the way and letting God refine you, trusting the Lord with a lot of things, believing God at his word. You know, so if you open up the Bible and you read the scriptures, you got to believe what it says. It's not head knowledge and it's not meant to just inspire you to feel good. It's actually a call to action. And I think that that's the big, um, the big component of growth is actually acting out on a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And in your faith is certainly, you write about it so all the way through the book. It's really a thread. It's, it's really a foundation. It's more than a thread. It's a foundation yes. of everything in your life, certainly in your story. And, um, and because you got that seed planted so young, um, it's pretty amazing how it was a very big part of the reason that you chose to thrive. Huge. And one, one thing I want to say about that, about that really quick is that, you know, God created music. I mean, music, the Psalms, which people love the Psalms in the Bible, that's all music. That's what that is. And some people don't realize that. And music has been, you know, from a very soothing thing from the beginning and music is all types of genres. It doesn't have to be Christian music. It can be rock and roll. It can be country. It can be pop. It can be indie. I mean, there's so type, lots of different music where you're going to feel the spirit of the Lord. You're going to feel, feel that in your soul, even though you don't know exactly who God is or understand his character, understand who he is because you've never opened the Bible or you've never gone to church. We're all created for a relationship with him, whether or not you believe him or believe in him. And so eventually when you begin to say, Hmm, this could be, I don't really know about it. I'm kind of ignorant to it. So I'd like to find out and have it, the information, and then I'll decide that's when your eyes open up to a lot of things. But music, I realized was a gift from him, even in the form of Tom Petty or the cars or Journey or Pat Benatar. Um, you know, all of these people are, are in the book or Eric Church or, uh, you know, Mercy Me, Lauren Daigle, Zach Williams. I mean, I can go on and on for King and Country. They're a big one. Uh, and I, I got this, I don't know if you can see it, but it's my little music yeah. note, right? Yeah. It's my little cleft and on it says it is well with my soul. And that is been the anchor for me is music grounded me and it becomes well with my soul. And I think it does that for a lot of people because that I'm getting that feedback that the music has just been incredible and that they've never seen a book like this before. They've never seen music connected. Looks like a musical. <laughs> Or a movie. That's Ooh, what people let's put that out there. You know, we could talk forever about the story. I want to encourage you listeners to go and get the book. If any of this is kind of sparking something within you, get the book. It's on Amazon. Heather, let's talk about what's next for you. Where, okay. where do you go next? Well, I see myself um, definitely on a podcast circuit like this, um, you know, sharing the story and getting the word out, hopefully on some talk shows where people can connect, but uh, also mostly I see myself speaking, speaking to a large audience um, about how to thrive, how, how to go from surviving to thriving, having that kind of be the anthem um, in, in, uh, in sharing how to do that. You know, what are the tools in doing that? What does it take to be vulnerable? Um, giving them the courage to be vulnerable, knowing that they have someone rooting them on, on their side on their team. Um, I just uh, launched my brand new website, 
So that just went live and um, I will be promoting that. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Heather Deffenbaugh. It's public. So that's where I put a lot of my information, but the website is going to be key for people to sign up and get a weekly newsletter. I'm going to be developing Heather's Healthy Habits and they're going to be based on five pillars of wellness, which is physical fitness. I've been a fitness instructor for 30 plus years and um, I'm a holistic nutritionist. I've done transformation programs, you know, as a coach and personal trainer. So I'm going to integrate all that in with the, the wisdom that I have learned in my 52 years of, of taking this journey um, with from ashes to beauty, how people can have their ashes be developed into beauty. So those five pillars are physical fitness, physiological fitness, what's happening in the body, you know, the hormones, the gut health, all that stuff mental fitness, mental's huge, emotional fitness and spiritual fitness. So those, those five pillars of health are essential. And when one is, is not doing well, you're off balance. So it's not just about getting a six pack and looking good on the outside when the whole inside's falling apart. Right. And it's not feeling good on the inside and letting the outside fall apart. So it's a, it's really, if you want wholeness, if you're looking for wholeness, that's what I want to help people guide them to. I want to guide them to that, that space. I mean, obviously I'm just the guide. They have to do the work, but the website will be key. The speaking engagements will be key. There will be another book. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have the collaborative book coming out with a, with a, a bunch of other fitness authors and that book will launch in, in October. So that is an exciting book. Um, and people want to hear more a lot of people still be writing another book. So that will come. But I think From Ashes to Beauty will be kind of on tour for the next year or so. And we'll see what happens with that. I've heard a lot of people say it needs to be a, it needs to be a movie. So we'll find the right producer and right director. And hopefully we'll see that on either the big screen or Netflix or something of that sort. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see where it goes as well. And I will make sure that all of your contact information and the website are in the show notes for everybody. So check those out if you want to follow Heather and see what she's up to. And before we close out today, Heather, I like to ask every one of the authors what the phrase that actually is the title of this podcast means to them. And it's called, It Just Takes One. So close us out by telling us what It Just Takes One means to you. It just takes one step forward and one brave act of courage to change the trajectory of your life. Yeah. You just need to move forward and take that one risk, that one step. Yeah. Yeah. That one conversation. That that one conversation. That's right. And that will snowball. It was my one conversation with you, Kelly, that that sparked the whole thing. And from there, I kept saying that it's one day at a time. So every time I saw the big picture, I'd get a little anxious, like, uh, how am I going to get to there? You know, and I'm like, what has to happen today? What has to happen today? Just take that one step. And I have to keep doing that. It doesn't end after you finish the book and you publish your book, because now the book is this catalyst for me speaking and um, connecting with people all over the world. I'd love to connect with so many people and that can feel overwhelming. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to partner with a nonprofit coming up very soon and that's going to be huge. And it's, you know, hopefully going to give me the opportunity to speak at churches. And then I want to be able to do a Ted talks. So I want to be able to speak, you know uh, there's no limit and there's no genre. This isn't just for a Christian audience. This is for a non-Christian audience. This is for any, this is for a human being. Yeah. For human beings. One so, step at a time. One step at a time. Thank you so much, Heather. It has been a really amazing experience to be working with you. I appreciated every moment. I wish you all the best as you go forward. And I know we'll still keep in touch. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I need Kelly in my life. <laughs> Same. And I need Heather in mine. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And uh, listeners, go out and buy the book. It's available yeah. on Amazon now. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Such a fascinating story, right? <laughs> I know you got bits and pieces, and there is so much more when you actually purchase the book that Heather went through in her life. But I think the overriding message that I take from Heather and from her story 
is that there is hope that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how hard life is, there is always a way out. And to get out, you need to have some tools. She shared some of the tools that she used, therapy, for example, and music, and of course, her faith. And maybe one of the most surprising tools for her, the tool of writing, the power that comes from sitting down and writing your story and the cathartic experience that can be. I hope you'll read more of her story by going to Amazon and purchasing her book. I'll put the link in the show notes below. And if you are someone who has wanted to share your story or has been told that you have a story worth sharing, please get on our website, scripturepublishinggroup.com, set up a consult with us so we can talk about it and see if we might be able to help you also get that story down on paper. As always, thank you for joining me for this episode of It Just Takes One and stay tuned for more of our authors and their stories coming soon.